This podcast is brought to you by All Things Film. <coughs> no, it, it really is. All Things Film, the web's premier collection of independent movie and TV related podcasts. For more, check out www.allthingsfilm.co.uk or search All Things Film on iTunes, Stitcher or TuneIn Radio. And now, on with the show. Listen to me, traitor. I believe that you've received the death message from our ninja empire. Ninja is supreme and you have double-crossed it. Why did you do that? I have to reform the ninja empire. That is why I took away it. That is why I took away it. The golden ninja warrior. The golden ninja warrior. You've got three days in which to return the golden ninja warrior. Right? Or else you die. What, 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 what is that? Or else you die. Go, go, go to hell. Welcome to the Golden Ninja Podcast 7 slash Commentary on Fire 14 on Ninja Operation Knight and Warrior. And we are for the first time merging the Golden Ninja Podcast with our other network show commentary on fire but me and Ed Glazer are stepping into the ninja commentary booth uh, therefore uh, this time to talk off ninja operation knight and warrior that is a special movie due to it bringing together several of IFD's awesome players including Stuart Smith and Richard Harrison in the same movie but they also shot most of the footage we are going to comment on again this is an audio commentary themselves so this is as close to an actual IFD movie by Godfrey Ho we're ever going to see, and the results are pretty magical. So again, with me is Neon Harbor's uh, Ed Glazer to help me share some tidbits and our views uh, and analysis of this IFD classic, uh, like the IFD party movie, I think is your quote about these things. Uh, so uh, welcome uh, to Commentary on Fire as well, Ed. Welcome to Ninja Miami Vice. That would have been a sweet series that would have run about two episodes before <laughs> before being cancelled. Like, what's this? <laughs> like, it's Godfrey Ho, man. Like, he stole from Miami Vice. You can't have that on TV? Stolen, stealing things? Okay. Well, fine. We're, we'll cancel that. Well, that's fine. How are you doing, buddy? It's been a while since you and I talked. It has been. Uh, I'm doing well, and I've got my ninja headband on, and I'm excited to uh, do a commentary on uh, one of my couple of absolute favorite IFD ninja movies. Are you really having your head, ninja headband on? No, no, because it wouldn't go around my, my headphones. But I would <laughs> exactly. Have. Like I, I had my, I, I put my mohawk up, uh, up tonight. So I thought like no ninja headband for that reason either. Uh, otherwise I would have like uh, represented the, the ninja hood. But, if, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't want to ruin a perfectly good mohawk. So Well, that's fair. I, I do actually have a couple of the headbands that are used in this film. Um, not the actual physical ones that were used in this actual film, but Richard Harrison uh, sweated in this one, isn't it? Yeah, right. Exa- no. Exactly. Yeah. No. No. Unfortunately, uh, not that. But I do have some of the identical ones. Yeah, I got one from a fan of the show. He sent me two, and I sent one to someone who wanted a copy of another movie, unrelated movie. The same fan who sent me um, a bunch of sealed uh, U.S. VHS releases of these uh, ninja movies. These um, shiny ones i don't know the label uh, right now but uh, these uh, shiny ones and i have them on display here so that, that was rather nice and he sent me a bunch of those uh, animated titles as well and i've blown my mind watching those uh, blew my mind watching They're those a best. couple of uh, months ago 
they're pretty good and when I reached Space Founder Kids I didn't know what was um, I didn't have any perception of reality anymore after watching uh, Space Founder Kids gave it the best review out of the bunch I gotta say well you're not saying it right Space Thunder Kids uh, yeah I got plenty to learn I'm still new with, to the animated to, to the animated thing but that was just like I can probably follow this if I just pay attention really really carefully nah <laughs> because the plot was always, always the same in these animated titles some planet is in peril because some some is, someone is going to invade them and a ripoff robot from uh, from some Japanese anime is going to come in and rescue everybody and everything's great. But Space Founder Kids, as we'll maybe talk of sometime, is like uh, if you think Godfrey Ho's movies are incomprehensible, you ain't seen nothing. So uh, that's a that's a little tease for you. But uh, that's uh, for another podcast. In the meantime, we'll do some quick contact information and the plot and availability for Ninja Operation Knight and Warrior before launching into the commentary. And this is uh, those two shows, uh, the Golden Ninja Podcast and Commentary on Fire on the Podcast on Fire network. And our website is podcastonfire.com where this show, the shows rather, and a bunch of other ones are available for consumption, including bonus episodes exclusive for the website. Email us if you have any comments or feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Check us out on Facebook, leave a like on our page, facebook.com forward slash POF network. And if you want to chat with us and follow the updates in general about show progress and uh, what's coming up, uh, join the discussion group that we have named Podcast on Fire Network, and you'll find it by searching on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. Ah, you're right about uh, these kind of movies over at SoGoodReviews.com, in addition to Taiwanese movies that has a connection to tonight's commentary as well, and uh, various adult uh, Hong Kong movies, and a variety of genres really over there. And I put up small video reviews at SleazyKVideo.com, and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And uh, the shows, uh, Golden Ninja Podcast and Commentary on Fire, you can subscribe uh, to us and the network on iTunes. And uh, if you have any time uh, left over and uh, if you want to share something about the show, please leave a small written comment. That would be absolutely fantastic and awesome. And uh, finally, uh, or next to last, plug on my end, you can stream us on Stitcher Radio if you don't want to download podcasts to your device. They have an online presence and also applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And on Jesus Press Molina's blog Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles, you'll find a bunch of ninja posts uh, about uh, the source movies, uh, mainly uh, hidden within these Godfrey Ho movies. And uh, that's a val- that's valuable research. And uh, thanks to that research, we have the option and uh, available to us to ID the original source movie within Ninja Operation Knight and Warrior. It's mostly an IFD movie, some and some footage from an old Taiwanese movie. But we'll get to that. But that's enough from my end. I mentioned Neon Harbor, but uh, plug away where you are on the web, sir. And what's been going on this um, this uh, spring? Any any notable uh, releases or events? Let's see. Nothing uh, super special at uh, the moment. Uh, still kind of developing some stuff. But... If you want to see uh, my films and my web series that I've done so far, including uh, Ninja the Mission Force, which is a show that uh, spoofs the various IFD ninja movies and some other stuff, but including the ninja movie that we are watching today, uh, you can find all of that at neonharbor.com. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com slash neonharbor and Twitter at neon underscore harbor. And how do you pronounce Ninja the Mission Force, therefore? (laughs) <laughs> on the same theme of Space Funder Kids. <laughs> Ninja the Mission Force. It's a, it's a hard art. It's a hard art. I realize that. Uh, uh, so I'll leave it up to the maker to uh, to uh, do it uh, do it right in this case. Uh, right on, buddy. Uh, let's uh, do a plot. Uh, not uh, too um, 
difficult to summarize this plot. It's uh, pretty straightforward, despite IFD having like almost an entire movie to provide their incomprehensible nature to the plotting. But nope, this is pretty straightforward. And uh, it's from my review of the film. And so here we go. Uh, after igniting the movie with an with an abstract demo sequence set to the theme of Miami Vice, Richard Harrison gets arrested for half a movie, and it's Alvin's, played by Alphonse Benny, drama as a Paris-based cop-slash-ninja, of course, failing to protect a witness and his wife. Murdered after the order of ninja and heroine kingpin Rudolph, and that's right, Rudolph, played energetically by Stuart Smith, our black ninja relocates to Hong Kong. That's not as insensitive as it sounds. So it's, this movie is actually known as Black Ninja as well in some in some areas of the world. And uh, after he relocates uh, to Hong Kong, uh, as does Rudolph, to find new shipping routes for his heroine. And enter, halfway through maybe, Renegade Cop Gordon, played by Richard Harrison, and the original Taiwanese movie where the character of Edmund wants revenge after his father dies. His target? Union leader, played by Ma Sha, aka Tattooer Ma. And I think we're gonna see that credit Tattooer Ma in the, cre- in, in the credits in a little while. And uh, you'll all know why. And that's that uh, for the moment. That's the background and the views in general will be delivered within the body of the commentary. And it's a commentary I'll also time to video and put up in parts, maybe five parts on YouTube if you don't have the movie to follow along, follow along with. And as for availability, what we are watching is someone's custom English dub put onto the full widescreen print from French VHS. And this person, his, or his account rather, is uh, Rocco Myler, and he was kind enough to share his work for free on YouTube to all of you, not just us. Because most, if not all, possible disc releases contains the cropped version of the film, and uh, the, therefore the online version on YouTube is the one we recommend. And as I said, it's also known as Black Ninja and Ninja Silent Assassin. So that's that. Let's uh, get into our first commentary ad. But uh, as I said before, you know... Uh, you are a veteran of these things, having done commentaries for your own product, and uh, I've done some uh, silly commentaries for products that I've not made, but uh, commented on nonetheless, and uh, this is the number one. So uh, if you listeners want to be in sync with us, uh, the countdown uh, will follow, and the way we do these things is uh, I count down 3, 2, 1, and when I say, this is just a simulation, when I say play, you can unpause your uh, video. And that's exactly what we're going to do right now. So, Ed, are you ready to dive into this uh, this 90 minutes of uh, madness? Always. Or joy, Rob. It's pure joy. It's a party movie, even though we're doing this straight. Absolutely. Uh, but all right, the countdown will start now. So uh, remember, on play we go. So three, two, one, play. And yeah, fade into Richard Harrison. And right off the bat, we have something unusual for IFD, which I'm sure you can recognize to it. It's an opening sequence that required, required something out of them. In this case, actors. Smoke. Yeah. Posing. And why it's unusual, I'm sure you know, but I'll just speak a little bit about it as well. They usually relied on credits that are rolled over the Hong Kong skyline, right? And then the movie started off that, or the movie started already underneath these credits. Uh, the exposition dump started already when we saw Godfrey Ho's name, so Richard Harrison's name. But uh, the only other example I can think of that did something akin to this, where it was a themed opening, was Ninja Dragon. That's the one I was going to mention, actually, which has music from um, uh, Dagger of Kamui, a, uh, an anime film. 
<laughs> like the, how, it, that, that sounds almost obscure. Robert, like normally they just found, you know, my, Miami Vice in this case, the theme song to Miami Vice. They probably was around, but the, that that sounds almost obscure. But like I don't can't think of any other examples where they did like a themed opening like this. And uh, I, I I rather like it. Richard Harrison does not look like he's enjoying himself particularly, and it's obviously shot in the office or. A hotel room, uh, and you got the smoke smoke uh, machine going. But uh, you know why not? Uh, and I, I gotta ask you: When you did Ninja of Mission Force, did, did did this ever cross your mind to open your episodes with posing like this, or you settled on the skyline? Yeah, you know, it was. Uh, I, I sort of um, I wanted to do the skyline first after uh, Ninja the Protector, but for season two, I realized that that was kind of a bad idea because no one would have any idea from the opening what kind of movie or what kind of show it was, and so. Uh, for season two, I went for a very, very, very short, very, very quick um, Cheetah Lee transforming into a ninja uh, just to get the title out there. And that was about it and get you right into the story. And speaking of getting right into the story. Yeah, we're in Europe, Ed, because uh, <laughs> we got baguettes. And- yeah, France, because baguettes, obviously. Um, this is something that uh, we did kind of rip off for uh, Ninja the Mission Force, uh, seeing if stuff was hidden in baguettes. So you used I I don't remember it off now. Was it actual baguettes, or you used some other uh, some other food? Uh, it was it was baguettes or something close enough. Right on. It wasn't cheese by any chance. I remember cheese from your show. But there was there was cheese uh, as well. But, you know, <laughs> we had we had a whole like searching through baked goods sequence. And you know, to be honest here, as fun as this is, one can't really argue that Godfrey Ho is good at you know creating a drug deal sequence and its tension. But as it jumps into action. One thing that happens in this one is something that's also fairly rare at IFD. Is they did action scene, but it was akin to an old western where we never saw any blood or anything. But uh, for for this one, they rig up some scripts on the actors, and uh, eventually we're going to see some acrobatics uh, from the uh, Asian stunt crew or the Hong Kong stunt crew. So um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, the, the guy who just fell over, like boom, boom. That, that was a rather like quick. Uh, Shocking, like, um, edit. Uh, like, it looked like a yeah. wire pool, almost. Uh, this is the cheapest Coliseum I've ever seen. They often just found these backwards uh, thing uh, things, uh, locations in Hong Kong. And I think there was a remote... You can find them easily when you go to Hong Kong, of course, uh, if you go to the new territories. And I think the advantage of going there is that the police is not going to come and bust you for not having a permit. It's true, but you're telling me that this isn't Paris? With all these mountains around? Well, maybe Alphonse Benny, which we'll talk of, maybe he had the uh, the finances to fly the whole crew over to Paris. I'm sure. Exactly, I'm sure. I would have expected, by the way, this uh, movie to thoroughly riff, riff on uh, a famous Clint Eastwood movie, but it only chooses, I guess, a moment that's coming up here, which uh, mm-hmm. which, which I'm sure you'll know, even though I didn't prepare you for this question. But what Clint oh, Eastwood yes. movie is Alphonse Benny going to channel right now? Dirty Harry. And not like a variation of that dialogue. You think I fired five or six shots, punk? It, it Well, it's it's a little bit different. It's like, did I fire six shots or five shots only? But um, That's a weird way of asking that question. <laughs> yeah, and Alphonse Benny, I'm sure we have a little bit of opportunity to talk about him. There's not a whole lot of things to say about Alphonse Benny, so I'll just go ahead and do it. Our, um, our uh, Cameroon... Uh, lead. He's not uh, you know, American or British or, or French. He's from Cameroon. And he said he met Godfrey Ho in Cannes or maybe Milan. And because Benny, here uh, sitting in his wonderful red shirt, 
was a film distributor, he, he all, and he already released Asian films in his own country. He liked the IFT movies too, and he told Godfrey he wanted to be in one. And Benny was really the real producer of this movie. And uh, presumably he had money, therefore invested in it uh, too, and could star in it. And he, he does a decent job, considering these leads were sometimes very random and not engaged in the case of uh, Richard Harrison. So I, I think he's doing, I think he does all right in this movie. Or what do you think in general about Alphonse? Oh, yeah. No, I think I, he's better than most, I'd say. Um, and honestly, if he put money into it, that probably explains why there's so much original footage. Yeah, I hope that's the explanation because I, I this was a rare idea at IFD, super rare idea to just shoot maybe eighty percent of it themselves. I think that's a, I think that's fair. It's certainly not fifty fifty. But uh, but yeah, after this movie, uh, him and Godfrey Ho made Top Mission, where they kept Joseph Lai out of the project, and eventually that movie was sold to Thomas Tang, who released it internationally. So that's the only instance of Godfrey Ho connecting to Filmark in a very unusual business transaction. That doesn't mean Thomas Tang airs Godfrey Ho, or vice versa. Uh, Benny and Richard Harrison worked again on a movie titled Terror Force Commando which I hope, uh, like, it's a typical uh, IFT title, that mixed the IFT style with an action movie from the Philippines. And even Spanish actor Romano Christoph, uh, who was a very good friend of Richard Harrison's, played a villain in that movie, shot on location in Cameroon. And in uh, Jesus Perez Molina's words, uh, who helped out with this research, that movie, um, Terror Force Commander, looks like a sequel to Top Mission. And finally, Benny also teamed up with Bruce Le, one of the Bruce clones, in Cameroon Connection as well. Movie I have, but only dubbed in French, so um, uh, so I haven't like uh, scanned through it. And uh, as Jesus said about that movie, every time I tried to watch it, I got so bored I turned it off. That's amazing. So there, there you are. That's uh, that's Alphonse Benny for you. And uh, and we're we're ta- we're talking over uh, the world's um, uh, longest avian commercial. <laughs> Dude, I mean that, that that's not really a sponsorship, but yeah, like uh, if you're thirsty, then, then there's uh, Avian water. Maybe were, were you affected? Like, I'm, I'm thirsty myself. Like, honey, do we have do we have any Avian? You're right, exactly. You know, remember Avian spelled backwards is naive. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think so. Sometime here we heard the name of Rudolph the drug drug kingpin and that that's another like ding 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 ifd tradition coming up with stupid names for characters that uh gonna be hard characters and and the prior supposedly hard characters and the prior interrogation scene is hardly is in terms of drama because the character breaks down stop it stop it i can't take it anymore my wife blah, blah, blah. like it's not high drama and certainly not david mamet either, his, but, uh, <laughs> his wife his kids and his 70 year old grandmother as they as they make pains to stress. Here's um, Alphonse Benny and Pierre Tremblay. Fairly frequent face in these movies. Uh, not in lead roles, uh, but um, he, among other things, he uh, you might have seen him in Inferno Thunderbolt, where he kills uh, Richard Harris's wife like uh, with a chain. I think it's a very brutal murder of her. And... That's the one with the dog, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Uh... Well, you know, I mean, the one thing that I dig about, well, one of the things I dig about this film is that it's like the parade of IFD stars. Every every scene, it's somebody new. You're like, oh, I remember this guy. He was in all of these other movies. It could then rarely do they all come together for one. Shame though, they didn't have or could like include because they had the room for footage. Like, would have been amazing if we had Bruce Barron and Mike Abbott as well on place. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> like, Bruce Barron. I don't think came in until after uh, Richard Harrison. He was the replacement Richard Harrison. I, exactly. I think the timeline is um, 
is uh, is that way you're very right uh but yeah i mean good at least hey girl <laughs> you know good at least by the way this is straightforward plotting it's not muddled through these exposition dumps that are poorly recorded afterwards like it is easy to pick up on this plot oh, what do you think Ed, if we're gonna provide some review while watching the wonderful Stuart Smith here Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, this guy, he betrays this guy and we've got to get our drugs over here and this guy wants to stop him. This guy wants to revenge his wife. It's like, yeah, it's like it's maybe like three different plots, but they're all so straightforward that it's hard to miss them. Also, these, by the way, are the uh, the headbands that I have, the skull one and the um, uh, the black ones with the little white ninja on them. Mine is, uh, it's a nin and then a ninja in the middle and then ja. Like yeah, so uh, so it's uh, it's actually head of the uh, or the upper body of a ninja, um, and you know any plot could feature in these movies like uh, ninjas, even though the source movie would have been a horror or a melodrama. But it's it, the source movie is action, and uh, therefore the whole like product is a little bit of a B action genre piece with straightforward plotting and not original plotting and not very well conceived and executed necessarily. But it it feels more. I think it's easily accessible rather than just throwing Diamond Ninja Force onto an unsuspecting viewer. I think this is uh, among the top three uh, like items you could present to someone who's curious about IFD rather than the absolutely mad Ninja Commandments and Robo Vampire mixture. Uh, but um, but yeah, it's I'm... true. I I I tend to want to hold off because uh, it's so much fun if you recognize everybody from the other films. On the other hand, as you say, it's the more sensible uh, of the group. And yeah, by the way, like we will touch on this a little bit through the show here, but uh, Stuart Smith was in this movie, as we saw before. I mean, he's, he's wonderful, and I love the fact that he um, it works the more Australian he is in these movies, the more it works, because his dialogue is so elongated because of his australian accent and his oh yeah his mouth acting that that man acted with his mouth like, and he dubs himself so that's uh you, you get you get the absolute most that you could of Stuart smith and i can't even do it justice like uh like his uh, accents i'm not even gonna try a whole lot but uh but yeah i mean it's uh it's still 11 minutes in we're still having this uh i this footage no trace of the uh taiwanese movie and it's not boring despite being tr- exceptionally bad and flat at the same time. Like, it isn't boring. Like, this this relationship is stiff and flat dialogue galore. And there, there's no chemistry between these two, obviously. And when you see her die in a little bit and him crying oh, over spoilers. her... spoilers. Well, if you... For, for heaven's sake, if you must have watched the movie before. So. <laughs> it's not the usual suspects of 70s. So, like... Right. Kaiser Sosa is... You know, the uh, what I found interesting is that they even bothered to kind of link some of the scenes together where Alphonse Benny's character, he checks his watch and it's broken and he's it's like, oh, I wish I had a new watch, except I love this one. And then uh, in another like scene and a half, we get uh, his wife with a watch for him for their anniversary. And it's like, oh, you didn't have to like, it's a nice little touch. And, you know, Godfrey Ho, after his IFD period, made actual movies. He'd made actual movies before, so there's no... He can construct a decently told narrative, but if you watch a movie like Princess Madam, which is his um, Moon Lee uh, vehicle, you, you can see the evidence of uh, a, a decent, like, narrative director there. So he's, uh, you know, he's executing the beats, and uh, that's... Uh, Speaking of executing... Yeah, indeed. Ninjas. And uh, at some point here, Stuart Smith like, says, you're a traitor. Traitors must die. 
but in there an Australian accent. Trailer. must die. Let, let me just ask you something. Like you, you see the transformation into uh, uh, Alvin into a ninja. You know, you get the um, eventually here. You get the smoke and then the boom and then the spin that transforms him into mm-hmm. a ninja. And it looks simple. But w- how hard it was it to get the spinning transformation right in Ninja the Mission Force so that it looked IFD-ish? You know, uh, you know n- not that hard, really. Um, because, you know, you're just doing a straight cut and uh, it's... Um, I mean, you weren't, uh, you weren't too anal about it. Like, no, the angle must be two degree to, to make it really... Like, to, that, to, that, to the right, to make it really ifd Like, you weren't anal about it that way. No, no. I mean, the thing is that it's it's a pretty straightforward kind of thing to do. You can do the jump spin, in which case, you know, you just it's it's like they jump and they jump and spin. You cut to the like a weird angle of them jumping and spinning in the ninja costume, and then you cut to them landing. Or you do the sort of Alphonse Benny sort of just spin transformation, and you mostly keep the camera still. You do a jump cut, and uh, you try to make that edit where the spin kind of uh, is at the same spot. And by the way, before we get to it, I might as well ask this question as well. Have you ever thought of like how IFD justified not only having ninjas in colorful outfits, but these this uh, glitter vest on top of it all? Like we're going to see uh, uh, Alphonse Benny wear in a minute too. I can't even imagine. I mean, yeah, I've, I've definitely wondered, but uh, no, I haven't the foggiest idea where that comes from. Uh, you know, at least at least with the headbands, you think, okay, well, they're, they're ISO nine thousand compliant ninjas, but. Uh, for this, I don't know. Also, I love that ninja is just a thing that you are that's not questioned by anybody. No one's <laughs> like, oh, my God, what is this guy? Or like, like, holy cow, you're a ninja. He's just like, oh, you're a ninja, too. I happen to also be a ninja. And the audience is expected to understand. Uh, like, like it's like hitman or assassin or uh, gunfighter or proficient with spoons. You're just you're just that thing also. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's. I don't think they ever focused on it extensively, as such. It just was, and and I think that that's because they were making such mic such micro movies normally, like just ten minutes of it. Oh yeah. Then then there was no use, like yeah, like having a, a history lesson before <laughs> before every movie, and uh, but but since they amped it up, it's not like they made you know Enter the Ninja style and ninja suits or anything like, and really were transparent with what their source was like they yeah. amped it up with this design i think they they just bothered with uh they, they want to color in and energy and, and they certainly can i mean ju- judging uh, can inject it's uh, judging by that fight scene it's short but again the hong kong style energy and editing is present even though in very small bursts in this one we don't get epic fight scenes despite having a longer ifd stretch of action and narrative here but uh, uh we, we get more of them i suppose rather than one or two, or three at max, uh, or tops. So, uh, so yeah, at least like the Hong Kong energy is there a little bit. I'm dying, and but what is that thing that you're wearing? I don't even <laughs> understand. I also like that she's like, uh, I'm, uh, they got me, and he's like, hang on, I'll get an ambulance, and she's like, no, there's not enough time, but I'll talk with you for like four and a half minutes. Like the ambulance could have been here by now, honey. No, don't leave. I think the blood has cleared up pretty fine. It's like she's not internally bleeding that much anymore. Shut you by that little smudge of uh, of red. So <laughs> I think but, she's but, just using this to get out of that vacation. <laughs> but but you know, it, does it throughout you know flow? Or is the IFD footage problematic at some points for you because there's so much of it? Or or what do you think in general about that? 
No, I mean, I think this is, it really is uh, uh, one of their absolute best. I mean, it's complete cheeseball, but it works. Yeah, I'm, I mean, 90 minutes is not hard for this one. It's just like uh, the the shock has worn off, obviously, that, oh my God, there's more footage. Oh my God, it's not stopping. It's continuing. Woo like that made, that was the easiest part of the first watch to just get, because you were constantly like waiting for it. Like, where's the source movie? Is there a source oh, yeah. movie? Oh my God, this is... What a, what a stupid movie. <laughs> like, I like it. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know. While we are on the subject of... Uh, we saw Stuart Smith uh, a little while, so why don't you at least start the buy of uh, Stuart Smith because, goddammit, does he deserve a mention? The Malfactor, uh, our, our Australian uh, villain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the, the fun thing is he was he was one of the, uh, one of the uh, rare cases of a Caucasian IFD actor uh, being roped into these movies and actually having a good time oh, yeah. uh, doing it. Um, so yes, Stuart Smith was born in England, but grew up in Sydney, Australia. Uh, originally went to law school while working in the import-export business, but school didn't quite work out, uh, which led to Smith joining a local community that had started a government-sponsored film and acting school. Um, originally giving, given the job of interviewing local surfers for on-screen segments, the performer bug in Smith grew and his aspirations became larger. You know, you know, by the way, let me just interrupt you. Watched Pierre Tremblay read his lines off screen. Like he's, like his eyes go to cue cards, definitely. Like, oh, the, wow. Like, no, not all the time, but you can see him like, blah, 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 right, blah, 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 right, blah, 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 blah. Like, and he's nailed to that table too. He never gets, he never gets, oh, yeah. uh, he never stands up. So obviously they, they shot this scene right after the other one and uh, Alphonse Benny still got the same shirt and all of that. Well, so. most people don't know that he's wearing no pants. That's why. <laughs> but right, let's get, get back to Stuart Smith and the performing bug. Yeah. Sure. Well, despite his agent advising him not to, Smith decided to try his luck in Hong Kong. Uh, rumor had it that producers were looking for Western actors to star in their films. So armed with a little bit of knowledge of Cantonese, the IFD films were soon graced by this performer and his interesting performance style. According to an interview Smith did with uh, Nanarland.com, Godfrey Ho's favorite turn of phrase was on set was, I can't see you acting, more acting. After working on a couple of IFD films, Godfrey eventually approached Smith about dubbing his own films. This led to more work, a better paycheck, a good working relationship with Godfrey Ho and IFD, as well as an extended career within Hong Kong, appearing in a few movies for Thomas Tang's Filmark, as well as a blink-and-you'll-miss-him appearance in the Brandon Lee vehicle Legacy of Rage, mm -hmm. Blood Fight alongside Simon Yam and Yasukai Karata, and Ringo Lam's Undeclared War in 1990. Uh, as of last note, Smith was working in Thailand as a financial advisor, a long way from his mugging days as the young on-screen punk or dastardly ninja foe, in the words of Josh, who helped out with his bio. And uh, here we see Mr. Temple, played by Grant Temple, uh, talking to the other movie. He's talking to Masha from the other movie. The first, the first uh, uh, leakage of the other movie into this one. And it's a pretty well-edited sequence. A lot of odd angles, but they pulled it off. Like, it's not, uh, it's not this, like, red background in the original footage. Ex ex like, ep epically more red background in the on the IFD side, like office setting and they pull it off like, uh, and uh, he's uh, talking to a 1984 movie in, uh, that's a source movie from Taiwan called A Girl Rouge, or Rogue rather. And uh, yeah, 
the Grand Temple is called Mr. Temple or Norman Temple. And um, yeah, what do you think? Do, do you think it's a solid enough illusion that these two guys are so talking to each other in the same room? I think the only thing that breaks it is the wonky angles on Masha and the sort of dead simple made-for-television uh, close-ups of, of Temple. Um, otherwise, it absolutely could work. And they're like, yeah, he's already, they're talking about he's already the chairman of the Fisherman's Union. And because that's possibly part of the original plotting, that he's part of, you know, he's a bad union leader. And uh, that, that that's that's why it seems so distant to a drug smuggling plot. Maybe they just, uh, what was the original about? Uh, Fisherman's Union. That'll work. Like, <laughs> so. Yeah. And the other thing is that, as is often the case in these movies, in order to kind of combine everything and get stuff going, the people, the the white the white people, the Caucasians, have a plan, and then uh, somebody says, "Fortunately, I've already got this plan in motion. I've talked to my friend uh, Stephen over in uh, Hong Kong, and he's got this stuff going on." And he's only referring to the other movie that's already in progress. But the the, the original movie, based on what we see here. It starts off like about a fisherman's union. That's really effing boring. Then it turns into quite an action spectacle eventually. Like uh, it's it sounded initially like the world's most boring source movie, like about about a fisherman's union. Nothing wrong with that, but uh, but uh, but uh, but yeah, he's got it all handled, and uh, he'll he'll get like Norman Temple says, "I'll leave the mission in your hands," because they're not in the same movie, so he has, yeah, he has to kind of leave <laughs> leave it in his hands. But uh, yeah, speaking of being nailed uh, to the same uh, table and chairs for three, four scenes, uh, these two, uh, they, they go out the ninja train eventually, but normally they sit here like, what happened? You'll never believe what happened. Like, there, there's a lot of developments at this table. They are, these two are adorable. They, uh, <laughs> adorable. I, I, lo- I love that it's like a buddy bad guy movie. And uh, they've each been bad guys in their own movies. And so to see a bad guy team up is extremely novel. And yeah, look at his wonderful chin and mouth, Stuart Smith. Like I, 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 you might, you might detect that I'm like being sarcastic. No, no, no I think he's a wonderful performer. Like that oh, yeah. energy is unheard of in these movies. It's not, it's not like, oh my god, it's embarrassing too much. No, 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 that is wonderful. Like if he would have said like I had the worst time, then him showing he had a bad time is makes me want to think like. Oh my God! What would it look like if he had a good time? Like if it had been like that, which it wasn't, as you said that, and it shows. Like he was into it, but when in film market movies, when he didn't dub himself, that it was all uh, the magic was kind of lost. You need his accent and his wild delivery. Ah, Praise must die. And uh, among um, we we cut to some hard-looking henchmen and random dudes in the office in the prior scenes, and one of them was. Uh, Paolo Tocha or Bruce Stallion, which have been a lead in a few uh, IFD and Filmock movies, and hopefully we'll get to talk about Paolo Tocha, who was in Bloodsport, by the way. You you've probably seen him in that, listeners. But uh, here's the boring, like a boring part of the Taiwanese movie about uh, you know that uh, the, the fisherman's union is run by someone so roof so ruthless like Masha, and it's not until. The father, who is uh, standing up here to the left, gets killed as Edmund enters and uh, drops his uh, drops his current occupation, which seems to be very 80s rooted, as we'll see in the latter scene, to go on a, on a revenge spree. And then the Taiwanese movie really wakes up. But but here it's like, what on? Uh, I love Taiwanese movies, but initially this looked like, b- based on the evidence here, that uh, like the least 
<laughs> like a, a luring Taiwanese movie of this uh, kind that I've uh, ever seen fragments of, even like. But but it it comes to life. God damn it, does it come to life eventually? Um and uh, yeah, I, I I've not seen the original, so I don't know much about it. Um, at all actually but uh, let's see if we can talk a little bit about norman temple or grant temple which is our is our second bad guy in all of stuart smith's scenes uh, the adorable duo and uh sure. he, he hails from uh, well i'm sorry uh, uh, it's your bio i was about to i'm gonna say things now no it's your bio so go ahead talk about talk about grand temple <laughs> either way is totally fine with me um but sure our second bad guy here uh Grant Temple hails from Winnipeg, Canada, Ooh. born in 1960 and eventually set his sights on Hong Kong as his girlfriend was from there. He had done plays in school and enjoyed acting, so he saw it as a pastime if he could land some acting gigs in movies. His most visible on screen are, of course, with IFD, but he was an extra in Taipan where he, in his own words, stood next to Brian Brown and got to be beat up by Jackie Chan in Armor of God. As these things go, Westerners were in high demand at IFD, and Temple got to appear in at least three IFD movies, including this one. And not too surprisingly, because most people say this about working for them, he had little to no idea what was being shot or what it was about. Temple jokes about asking Godfrey Ho to clarify the plot of the movie they were shooting and was shot down pretty quickly. Uh, you know what? I don't get why uh, Alvin organizes his bag of weapons here because right, they're all about to fall down. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> because there's no like uh, call, uh, like um, it doesn't attach to anything. It looks like so. I would love to. I would have loved to see the scene where he opened it up. Like, God damn it! I organized this crap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's it. But uh, yeah, uh, go on and resume the temple uh, bio if you will. Sure. Um, Grant speaks highly of Stuart Smith and was one of the actors he struck up an off-screen uh, friendship with. Uh, he speaks a little in the Nanarland interview about being paid 500 US dollars per film. And as he said in hindsight, when asked if he didn't pursue more movies or why he didn't pursue more movies, uh, it was about surviving and it wasn't a well-paid job anyway. It was a temporary stage, but in his own words, my favorite year of my life. He's a teacher today in British Columbia, working with special needs students and teaching drama. What a sweet guy. Like a, like a good head on his shoulders. By the way, Godfrey Ho, it's good that when you start uh, an exciting scene with the actors back at us and, and yeah. making a telephone call, like, yeah, that's, Alvin is going to call you and Alvin's back. It's going to blow your mind. But, uh, and he's leaving a, a message on an answering machine. Gripping drama. And uh, where's the Garfield phone? Why did they even... Ex they, they had uh, so much footage here. And did Alphonse Benny maybe step in and say like, hey guys, screw that crap. Like a Garfield phone, that doesn't make sense. We, we're using regular telephones on my production. God damn it. But yeah. I, I wish that was the case. <laughs> but you know, welcome back Richard Harrison after his uh, stint in the first uh, se sequence here, the Miami Vice uh, sequence. That's Gordon, the cop, and he's uh, welcome back. He's uh, wonderful shirts that you saw in these movies. Uh, and I, I always enjoyed when they try to maintain the illusion that this is, you know, set in Hong Kong. The Hong Kong Police Department had Westerners, and they they mixed, you know, um, Eastern and Western actors, if you will, you know, ca casting mixed. Which was good for the illusion there, rather than like having a long stretch of source movie and pure westerners, and then long stretch of source movie again. At least sometimes they tried to mix it up. And uh, Richard Harrison even has a partner in this movie, essentially. Uh, I believe he's referred to as John, and that's actor John Chung. Yeah, he's John Lee in the film. Yeah, 
But yeah, the uh, rogue cop Gordon, and that's Richard Harrison. And uh, if you will, it's a slightly longer bio, but if you will, uh, let's uh, talk of uh, Richard Harrison, uh, the, the grumpy the grumpy guy who did not like IFD at all. Sure. Uh, you know, actually, real quick, one of the things that uh, is surprising to me in this film is that he is uh, dubbed by not his usual guy. He's usually dubbed by a voice actor named, I believe, John Culkin. Right. And that's not the case in this one. So it throws me off. He's in it, but it, it's not It's not right. <laughs> it's not, it's not his actual voice that isn't him. You, you know, it's not as worse when Smith gets uh, replaced over dubbing track, uh, Stuart Smith. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Richard said in an interview with Nanarland about his time shooting movies for IFD, it's not very intelligent. You know, the whole idea is to do things with intelligence. I saw so many stupid things. I used to think half the time, my God, do they just look for stupid people to work in cinema? They're disgusting people and they do disgusting things. I guess they made money, but prostitutes do too. So there you go. And uh, and, and before we go, go on, I love the little exchange between Norman and Rudolph here. Norman says, Rudolph, your mother was right. You are a maniac. And I want to see that movie about uh, Rudolph and his mother. And, and his mother. I, I also love that, that now that Rudolph's in town, they share a desk. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but yeah, that's positive. Richard Harrison isn't. So uh, that's a good setup for how much he, in hindsight, even hates IFD. Hated it back then, hate, still hates it now. Mm-hmm. Richard was born in 1936 and proved to be the athletic kind as he grew into a young adult. When he had moved to California at the age of 18, he found work in a local gym owned by Vic Tanny, who was a pioneer in the health club movement and also had clients with connections to the movie industry, which led to some of said clients encouraging Harrison to try out acting, and thus a quite long career began for the boy from Utah. You can see Harrison briefly in the 1957 film Gene Eagles, which was a Kim Novak vehicle that detailed the life of the legendary actress of the same name. He, he, he like walks through the frame in, the, in, in that black and white movie, but uh, still looking very handsome. And uh, yeah, you, you, you definitely see him. And I, I, should, I should look for that myself, actually. Um, at the turn of the decade, Harrison got offers from overseas, and this led to lead roles in numerous Italian productions. And Avenger of the Seven Seas from 1961 marked his first taste of success in Italy. This prompted a 20-plus year stay in Europe where you could see him pop up in westerns, thrillers, war films, and sword and sandals movies. Eventually, the Italy thing had run its course. Oh, oh, oh dude, dude, by the way, this room is um, familiar to, they, they set various uh, scenes at a police station in IFD's movies in this room. And I love that. Uh, here's the picture of the guy you're looking for. And essentially, it's, it looks like a picture taken off a TV of the source movie that IFD acquired uh, playing. So like the, the picture is a bit fussy and uh, like it, it looks like they took it off a TV. So, uh, and why yeah. is there a map of Italy behind gordon there there's a connection right there so (laughs) on with richard harrison's italian career while we look at these hardball caps oh but don't forget also don't forget the it could happen to you poster which also pops up in ninja the protector yeah it's either it's uh, like um obviously a poster warning about uh like burglars and kidnapping (laughs) yeah it's a they're a little they're a little scary but i guess that's also the point yeah, I don't want to be kidnapped. Not anymore. Yeah, man. 
So uh, Richard had appeared in Hong Kong movies for the big studio Shaw Brothers, specifically in Chang Che's Marco Polo and The Boxer Rebellion in 1975 and 1976, respectively. But as the 80s started, Harrison found himself in Hong Kong and ultimately on bad terms with his employers. IFD's Joseph Lai and Godfrey Ho found a leading man in Richard for their ninja cut-and-paste action pictures of the 80s. Uh, And uh, stories differ uh, in terms of what happened next, as Richard claims he only did one or two movies for Godfrey and Lai that was then spliced into several, while other reports claim that Richard did far more during different periods and was a bit more aware than he nowadays claims, which... Uh, personally, I suspect to be the truth. Mm -hmm. What can't be denied is that the IFD crew took Richard Harrison's footage and spliced it into more films than he had contractually agreed upon. Harrison was understandably enraged. At a time in his career when his name still had some value, the IFD product helped to hinder that and probably damaged his ability to sell himself within select markets. His credits do not end in Hong Kong, however, as a few select acting credits turn up between the end of the 80s and the start of the millennium, including Lies of the Twins opposite Aidan Quinn and Isabella Rossellini, Angel Eyes in 1993 for prolific cinematographer and director Gary Graver, and 1987's Dark Mission for Spanish director Jess Franco, which even featured Christopher Lee. Last credit to date is 2000 movie Jerks, which does not look to be the movie depicting Richard's time at IFD from his point of view. Jerks. <laughs> that, 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 that's like the uh, constant like uh, key line in that movie. What do you think of the IFD people, Richard? Jerks. Jerks. I just like that, uh, like that term. And uh, the, the Taiwanese movie has revealed in prior scenes here a little bit of a... It is the 80s, yes, but a little bit of hyper-stylized uh, uh, design choice even for an 80s movie. Just because it was set in the 80s, they didn't go all like 80s fashion on us in these movies. And it Now, looks- I have to stop you here for this, which uh, might disprove your point. Well, at least at least the, the source film. Exactly. I mean, normally they, they kept it subdued. This one doesn't for some reason. Like it's uh, it looks like to be the Taiwanese break-in or Beat Street or whatever those movies were called at that time when... Uh, Breakdancing was popular, but uh, here it's like um, we got unions and acrobatic dancers, um, like outside this construction site and doing mighty dangerous stunts. This is terrifying because he actually is doing these things. Oh yeah, the the first one was was a trampoline, definitely, but the other one is him rolling over the car in slow motion, and it's our lead uh, actor. I have his name somewhere, or, or the name I think uh, uh, it is, because he, he was not a frequent actor, our uh, Edmund, but uh, he looked to be uh, an incredible uh, action performer, really. I'm uh, not much of an actor, but an uh, incredible game action performer, like with a death wish akin to Jack Chan or Sam Hung or what have you. Like, uh, it's it's marvelous. The, the more the Taiwanese movie rolls... The, the more pleasure I gain from it, like the the, the less boring Fisher Union uh, Fisher Union plot, the more revenge and kung fu and unbelievable stunts we get. Then, like both sides of the footage, IFDs and the Taiwanese side, uh, it's just pure joy, really. And uh, you always recognize Edmund because he's got his effing headband on all mm-hmm. the time. He wants to be Ryu from Street Fighter, <laughs> but. Uh... Yeah, let's um, let's uh, see if we can start talking a little bit about the old Godfrey Ho, who directed uh, most of this movie. 
like normally it's uh, Godfrey Ho directed five minutes or ten minutes out of a out of a movie. Sometimes inspired footage, sometimes not inspired footage. Yeah, and uh, you know, prolific director really, My, prolific in a way where credit IMDb and HKMDb sort of it looks like he directed thousands of movies almost where it's it's like semi true uh, as I'll explain but he was born in 1948 and started his career in film in the early 70s at Shaw Brothers working as an assistant director for aforementioned Chang Che alongside a young Jong Woo uh Ho's inspiration to direct uh, came uh, directly from working with the productive legend uh, Chang Che of uh, Five Venoms fame and One of Swordsman fame and his first project was this French Hong Kong co-production entitled Paris Killers a project he reportedly took over directing after his co-director couldn't handle it all on his own. And he he is uncredited. Uh, actually, I've seen the movie. And uh, he's in, in the movie as well. A young Godfrey Ho can be seen in that movie. Godfrey met business partner Joseph Lai and began learning how to sell films. And a few years later, after Lai formed IFT Films and Arts, Film and Arts, Godfrey joined the company to gain further knowledge about this aspect of films. And uh, films involving Godfrey Ho at the end of the 70s and early 80s in particular they were a lot of uh, Korean shot movies. Uh, and he was involved in production, but not at all at the same time. Some movies, he just got the credit uh, after Asoasia or IFD picked up the movies from Korea. And some movies he did do. But that that area is still a bit unclear to me uh, exactly what is a Godfrey Ho movie and what isn't. Uh, for instance, The Dragon the Hero, I believe, is a Godfrey Ho movie uh, and a pretty good one at that. Uh, Dragon Lee Star. And uh, it, it gets a little tricky to explain all of that period prior to IFD, like because here we get to also talk of the combo of IFD, Thomas Tang, Godfrey Ho, Joseph Lai, and Korean shot martial arts movies. Because some, as I said, were presented by Asuasia, and some were by Joseph Lai and Thomas Tang. Like their their names are both on the prints. Uh, for instance, The Magnificent, which we've talked about on this show, starring Carter Wong and Chen Sing, that's one of their produced movies but that's not a godfrey ho joint uh necessarily he's, uh, he's not a director and uh some movies i am fairly sure that they just picked up and put godfrey ho's name on them is uh secret ninja roaring tiger the original south korean director kim si hyun kim si hyun lost his credit to godfrey ho and I, I think that that is a bit unfair I, I would love to see in a fair world a co-directing thing on there or just change Directed by Godfrey Ho and Kim, something westernized. But uh, hey, that's uh, that's what it is. And but my, in my opinion, I don't think Godfrey directed a lot during this time, though. Uh, despite a lot of uh, Korean shot martial arts movies pre- presented by Asoasia, I don't think he directed a whole lot. Uh, and eventually, Asoasia split into IFD and Filmark. Thomas Tang formed Filmark. IFD were formed, and Joseph Lai and Godfrey Ho uh, kept working together. And uh, that's uh, where the whole. Um, Ninja era kind of uh, opens where Godfrey Ho was uh, ap- apparently he was the one reportedly anyway suggesting to like to produce films using foreigners and therefore uh, ex- like expose them easily internet more easily internationally and that's where the cut and paste formula was kind of born and eventually this distinct output from the company began with Ho himself directing numerous movies like small portions of them obviously like the five ten minutes out of them. Uh, between 1980 and around about 1990 or even 88 or 89 before he left IFT. And many of them as this one uh, tapped into the ninja craze at the time. And uh, that's uh, what we love mainly from IFT. And uh, Richard Harrison was among the players uh, utilized as leading men. And uh, as uh, Ed said, he initially filmed film scenes only for a handful of movies, but was made to 
made a star of many more after IT split, split up and reused his footage. And if I can interject briefly, um, it's uh, it's probably worth noting that uh, um, the ninja craze kind of started with Enter the Ninja starring Franco Nero, a former Spaghetti Western star, yeah. uh, and uh, sort of re remolded as a ninja and i think richard harrison was uh was cast for precisely that reason let's let's get a former spaghetti western star and remold him as a ninja indeed and uh that's um you know uh, what i was coming to as well i don't think this footage in this movie was reused at all in other movies i i haven't seen any of this footage uh no from... no it's all seems to be fairly uh this movie only yeah, exactly. Uh, normally, we'd, we'd see Richard Harrison sitting at a desk or listening to a Walkman that delivers a ninja death threat message. And the Garfield phone footage obviously turns up in tons of movies, not this one, as we said. And uh, among, uh, in these movies also, you had a lot of un- uncredited and unauthorized music. Again, the Miami Vice theme is used as the ninja action theme in this one, which is great. It's not just used at the top of the movie. It's whenever ninjas kick into action, that famous Miami Vice theme start. And various Taiwanese and the Thai and Filipino movies were used as source movies in these cut and paste productions that merged the ninja action footage with something old. And yeah, the Godfrey Ho's filmography became quite endless because of this. But not... A, like he's directed a good amount of full movies, but not as many as uh, the filmography suggests. Um, and after a handful of so-called proper movies in the early 90s, uh, meaning that films that he shot and directed himself fully, such as Lethal Panther, Angel Enforcers, and free movies with Cynthia Rothrock, including Undefeatable, which is uh, quite a legendary action movie with a uh, legendary end fight. Uh, we've done a commentary on that one as well. And if, if I can also mention that uh, the one thing I love about those movies is that Godfrey Ho pulled a reverse Godfrey Ho in some of those where he would cast uh, a number of uh, uh, Chinese actors uh, and in minor roles. And then he would make new edits of those movies, putting those characters into the major role and uh, letting the Cynthia Rothrock plot, the you know, uh, American guys plot, uh, take a back seat to that. Exactly. Uh, may he, he like uh, in Undefeatable, all of a sudden Robin Hsu was the star of the Hong Kong edit, Bloody Mary Killer. So uh, that is more valid. It's not uh, uh, r- ripping off uh, anything, uh, thankfully, or um, like fooling someone like Richard Harrison. No, I mean, they're sort of doing what uh, what Hollywood's doing now with um, uh, kind of uh, capitalizing on the, the market in China and uh, kind of tweaking movies like Iron Man 3 for a Chinese audience and so forth. And uh, yeah, um, Godfrey stepped out of the movie business uh, after the stint of the 90s and in the early 2000s began to teach filmmaking, which is uh, ironic uh, to some, I believe, uh, if you don't like Godfrey Ho, uh, at the Multimedia Innovation Center of the Polytechnic University. By the way, this guy in the uh, in the little uh, blue blue uh, white spot combo that that when I made my notes looked like it looked like Matthew Lillard. <laughs> <laughs> from SLC <Yes>. Punk. <laughs> and he is being dubbed by Stuart Smith. Oh, really? <laughs> and, yeah, and is inexplicably drinking a bottle of soda uh, with a straw. And the same goddamn picture of Stuart Smith. <laughs> like the, hey, girl. 
like, like a, Rudolph looks like a swell guy based on that uh, based on that uh, picture. But uh, uh, you know, Godfrey gets labeled as a bad director thanks to the Ninja movies, and uh, I'm, I'm not here to question anyone's uh, taste, obviously. But uh, I, I saw action energy in these movies and uh, directorial energy in these movies, and uh, they, they become better if you are into the fact that these are products, like really like calculated products for an international market, like they tapped into something and. Uh, uh, meaning all that the Godfrey Ho and IFD and Joseph Lai, they knew what they were doing. And they they knew they weren't making art or anything. But uh, you could see creativity in his direction creeping in every now and again. Ninja Terminator, Majestic Thunderbolt, there's some really stylish stuff in there. Inferno Thunderbolt uh, to a degree as well. And uh, when directing full movies, I saw a director that had the touch of making solid action entertainment for the masses. Uh, like these Moon Lee movies he made. They, they were good, solid fun, uh, up there with uh, the best of um, the Moon Lee stuff, in my opinion. She was a good action, good and popular action star at this time. And uh, you also had Angel Enforcers, and uh, again, Undefeatable remains proof of, of that John, uh, John Woo, for heaven's sake, Godfrey Ho, is uh, better than you uh, than you might uh, think. If you look a little deeper, there was a decent action entertainment director here. Like He wouldn't be able to... Uh, be a good drama director, I think, but uh, very solid. And as you've discussed before, when Godfrey Ho left and you had other other directors direct the source movie footage, uh, or other the the IFD footage, you could see that it was lacking in energy, and there, oh, there yeah. was there was something missing there. And um, I, I think think as you said on one prior show, it shows that Godfrey Ho brought something to the to the table that made the the IFD movies more fun. And you've also said yourself that, uh, you know, looking at the, the Filmark movies that have a same, the same formula, but a different director behind them, that there's just usually no comparing uh, in terms of quality. Yeah, it's a different kind of goofiness. And speaking of goofiness, the, again, the design of this Taiwanese movie, for, for whatever reason, this guy in the black trench coat looks like he has silver spray paint all over his face. It looks like he's been beaten up. And I mean, maybe that's what they were aiming for. But it, I, I looked at this and I was like, it looks like some hyper stylized 80s alternate reality because I've never seen this in a Taiwanese movie. This overly 80s design to the proceedings and even action. Like it has a tint of 80s uh, about it. So who knows? I mean, uh, Taiwanese cinema of this time or a few years be- uh, before this, you know, start started their social realist and female revenge era with a lot of gritty genre pictures, obviously dramas too, and action, and even still swordplay and fantasy movies. And and this is a little bit after that era, but still very oddly designed at points. I've never seen it. But then it kicks into action, such skilled action, well-captured, and, you know, daredevil performance for our entertainment, which is uh, absolutely marvelous. I think a girl, a girl rogue is uh, something I'd like to see in full someday if it ever became available. The ironic oh, yeah. thing is, with um, a lot of these movies, um, Taiwanese or not, sometimes the only way to see most of them, again, because IFD edited into some, edited like 10 minutes of their footage into these movies, usually, like the only way to see some of these movies are within the IFD frame. Mm-hmm. With, with ninjas in them. And, and it gives off a good idea of what the original is about sometimes, because they didn't alter the plot like 500 percent but um i have to ask about uh this fellow here the matthew matthew lillard guy uh apparently he's supposed to be really good at getting information uh and immediately uh he goes to uh his boss who is in tight with rudolph and and norman and uh gives them away 
Yeah, it is what it is. You know what? What, what I focus on is the fact that I don't have his name, but the the, the, the other actor in the scene uh, has turned up in uh, various Filmark movies. He's the villain in Thundering Ninja, also with Stuart oh, Smith. Nice. Uh, he, he wants to get some secret plans to take over the world and get some nuclear weapons and crap like that. But uh, but yeah, uh, he's uh, he's uh, uh, he's probably using a different name here, different name in the Filmark movie, and I haven't uh, been able personally to identify him or looked into it as such. I love that assistant guy who comes, who who just kind of sticks his head and he's like, um, yes, <laughs> I, I, I believe you have my stapler. <laughs> yeah, well, like Mike Judge stole from Ninja Operation Night and Warrior, clearly. <laughs> yes, of course, clearly. <laughs> so, so I love here. Uh, so they got to fight some ninjas. Alphonse Benny, he's a ninja. He can do that. Uh, John Lee doesn't need to. He's just Asian. Oh, I'm sorry. This is it's it's a later scene where they where they uh, transform or he transforms and John Lee just gets a weapon. <laughs> yeah, because he's just a cop and not this. Uh, yeah, well, he's exactly. he's Asian. He doesn't need to transform into a ninja. Only white guys transform into ninjas, apparently. In Godfrey Ho, burst. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the thing is, we we have. Uh, uh, we have talked of the IT films and arts history before, and we thought we'd uh, do it again, and I hope we can get through it all, because the, that history is important to get out there, and uh, that info that others have compiled before us is important to forward, because the misconceptions regarding the connections between IFD, Joseph Lai, Godfrey Ho, who did what, and who didn't do that, and who worked for Filmark, who didn't work for Filmark, and is Godfrey Ho's Thundering Ninja correct, or is Godfrey Ho's Robo Vampire correct, which is not, like, all of this, this uh, mess that's been created and slowly untangled into, uh, you know, uh, facts, uh, is uh, important to state all, all over again, even though we did it in episode one of this series, so I'll try to... One thing real quick, though. Uh, we're supposed to believe that nobody knows that Vivian is a girl. Yeah, that's the... Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's just a furthering, uh, a, an ancient cliche of uh, gorgeous women playing male characters just yeah, because like, they have the, their, hair, their hair up in a bun and then they release the hair and they go, oh my God, it's a woman. <laughs> I'm sorry, Scarlett Johansson. I didn't realize you were a girl. <laughs> But, but yeah, it's never convincing, even in classic movies. Come drink with me, the classic Cheng Pei Pei movie. She plays a uh, male... Well, everyone thinks she's a male character. And when the, her hair lets down, uh, gets let down later in the movie, we all are shocked beyond belief. So we're, we're going behind the ninja suits a little bit, and that reveals a company, IFD Films and Arts. They were thriving in the 80s, and they were making a splash as a distributor of English-language action entertainment, containing the flavor of the time, which was ninjas mainly. Uh, the man usually associated with IFD is God, Godfrey Ho, a filmmaker credited with movies he didn't direct a frame of. But, uh, and he's commonly associated with, uh, the not the rival company, but Thomas Tang's other company that uh, also made this kind of entertainment uh, film okay, but Godfrey never directed for them under his name nor used an alias and that's coming from Godfrey himself in an interview with Hong Kong Cinemagic and uh, but he's the filmmaker behind the brightly colored ninja footage that we see here and in other movies but the man behind Godfrey you know further up the ladder is uh, Joseph Lai who formed the company and this is uh, his story kind of and uh, he gained uh, knowledge of local and international film distribution through working with his sister Terry Lai 
who were the owner of Intercontinental Film Distributor, one of the biggest distributors of non-Chinese movies in Hong Kong that uh, worked markets such as the Middle East, Europe and Africa. And eventually he uh, formed uh, you know, his own company, IFT Films and Arts, uh, as, as a production and distribution company. And he spotted a chance to tackle and provide Asia with the flavor of the time. Again, these, uh, these uh, wonderful, uh, wonderful ninjas in the hands of Godfrey Ho and these... Uh, quick, lightning-fast, and quite skillful action scenes that we just saw, even though they only last for about 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. But uh, he realized, Joseph Lai, after working for and learning from Terry Lai, that that there was a market gap. And Hong Kong companies uh, were not distributing enough internationally. I mean, uh, and uh, therefore, as Asoasia, I believe, they produced and financed uh, Korean short kung fu movies, a few of them, including uh, the acclaimed movie The Magnificent, that we talked of on a prior episode, starring Carter Wong, uh, IFD was the first Hong Kong company to be part of the American film market, which is one of the major film markets for international distribution, and eventually sold their products via simpler deals and less expensive rates, in, rates internationally, thanks to the choice of uh, starting to dub the language tracks into English. So uh, that's uh, how that all got triggered. And that certainly rings off taking a gamble like selling for lower rates possibly but they were very flexible with the deals they struck there were no like uh need at all times for a cinema run of uh, of a ninja operation night and warrior in another territory the I mean the video was uh was uh going strong obviously in the in the 80s so uh, video deals was all good and fine so uh, they were kind of selling rights a la carte versus shaw brothers who said if you're going to buy our films you have to pay us this much you have to have a theatrical distribution and video distribution and all of these things and yeah and so i have to do, do whatever you want just give us some money some excellent acrobatics in in that scene slow motion oh, yeah. acrobatics and a real too. He looks like a, he looks like a gymnast, to be honest, like a real skilled gymnast uh, as well. So uh, no sh- shame this actor didn't do uh, more. But IFD was the first Hong Kong company to get worldwide distribution on video, like extensively. I mean, Shaw Brothers in Hong Kong, you know, through their action and kung fu line, I'm sure got into the global market quite effectively in the eighties. But they were stepping down, and uh, like, oh, this bridge stunt, by oh, the way. This is terrifying. Speaking of of doing things for real, that's a guy who does that fall into the water, and you can't and fake that. Dead. <laughs> it looked like a lead actor, to be honest. Like a, a yeah, actual I, lead I, actor. I wonder if it actually was. But uh, yeah, that's a wonderful stunt. But uh, yeah, you, you know, Shaw Brothers ended their productions. Uh, they, they closed production in the mid eighties, so I have to sort of started their production uh, in in the or, or distribution in the mid eighties. So they Son weren't of competing. A bitch. Sorry, there's there's at least two two uh, of the bad guy scenes in a row that start that way. And uh, by the time in that, uh, by the time when we hit uh, the eighties, uh, uh, Joseph Lai brought on board college friend uh, Thomas Tang and young director Godfrey Ho. Uh, when well, I'm talking mainly about the Asoasia days when they started distributing uh, uh, that kind of entertainment, that martial arts entertainment. And eventually, um, Thomas Tang left the company and formed formed his own film arc in Godfrey Ho and. And uh, Joseph Lai continued on as IFD making these kind of movies that we're watching right Here now. Here is a picture of Richard Harrison from Ninja the Protector. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, that's, uh, that's, 
that's uh, that fits the time that, that fits the timeline. So that's quite wonderful. And that's a picture from earlier in the movie of uh, of uh, John Chung and uh, Alphonse yeah. Penny. So. <laughs> uh, right on. Let, let's clear up some rumors about again Thomas Tang and Godfrey Ho. They, they were different persons. Um, Godfrey Ho never worked at Filmark, despite those wacky ninja pictures seemingly being similar. They are a different kind of wacky. And uh, that is confirmed by the man himself. And 2015 is a great year for continual a continual stream of cleaned up information. And and not just from us primarily, but uh, it, you know it's very important to repeat this all over again. God, who was who in this whole confetti of uh, <laughs> and fireworks of uh, people and content? And Thomas Tang was a different person. He was associated with Phil Mark and their ninja action pictures. And I think it's kind of bad taste when you can't be asked to look up who was who when we're talking about someone who actually unfortunately passed away in a fire, Thomas Tang. That is a tragic fire in 1996. Uh, But at the same time, I don't blame anyone for carrying on this misinformation because it's so widespread and available. Like, if you go to IMDb, you're fucked because that's the... There's the virus of the misinformation. Look up Thundering Ninja. There's Godfrey Ho. Look up Robo Vampire. There's Godfrey Ho. And those were film art movies that he wasn't uh, involved in. But um, yeah, we we have so much more first-hand accounts of the IFD and film art years, as you alluded to in the Stuart Smith bio and Richard Harrison and all of that. So there there is uh, a clearer picture to uh, that you... I don't know if the Wikipedia entry for IFD or Filmock or whatever, if there is one, if they present real info, but there, there is a clearer picture here. And uh, um, I mean, at one point, when you were watching these movies, Ed, and like got, got a few movies in, saw this, saw Robo Vampire, and saw info out there on, on the internet, did, did you ever think that Godfrey Ho was responsible for all of this? So in your eyes, it looked different. Uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't pay attention during all of the extremely unsexy sex. Um, <laughs> That's why I was no, talking I, of uh, boring stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, for a while, I think I, I kind of conflated them because I didn't know any better. And all of the most available information, IMDb and so forth, seemed to uh, say the same thing, that they were uh, the same guy. Uh, but I started to kind of slowly piece together the the feel and style and and I started reading more about it. I, a lot of information um uh when I discovered uh the Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles um that was an enormous enormously helpful source of information. Uh so I, I think pretty quickly I kind of got a handle on it. But not right away. How about yourself? Because I saw like Ninja Terminator so long ago and didn't really like it, and then I think when I reignited my fandom or, found, or ignited my fandom for the first time, I, I like had heard enough, I suppose, where I knew what the dealio was when I rewatched, for instance, Ninja Terminators. I think uh, yeah, I just had a minor dip and didn't think too much about it, and after all those years, there was some more clear information available to me, and so, so I guess uh, I came at it. Uh, that way, and uh, it was a it was a good thing. I mean, I'm 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 a gullible guy, so I would have been fooled. Uh, but uh, in the in in this case, I never really thought at all about it. I just thought like, hey, Ninja Terminator, that guy has a crazy blonde wig. That's kind of funny, mm-hmm. and that, that was uh, that was the extent of it. So, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, at the 50 minute mark, I made uh, a note, and uh, I thought to myself like, is there a, is there like was 10 minutes of source movie so far after 50 minutes and i think that's uh i mean there's more of it in the second half obviously but uh, i think that's so wonderful that he doesn't need to rely on it but we we get the good stuff from the taiwanese movie including this 
playground fight, which was IFD's territory, obviously. They set fight scenes at a playground, but they were not as exceptionally acrobatic as this. <laughs> not at all. But uh, I, I just enjoyed the fact that, wow, they made so much of their own footage. My God, they were so close at making a full movie. That would have been awesome. But thankfully, we get awesome footage from Taiwan eventually. Like, there's no, no boring footage from mm-hmm. Taiwan. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I don't know where this... Uh, dialogue uh where this guy dialogue came in which of the Stuart smith grand temple scenes but uh, one of my favorite like uh unnecessarily profane exchanges happens in one of their adorable office scenes and uh grand temple says there's a bunch of assholes fucking up in the harbor area but tiger can handle them so therefore they can just continue fighting there. <laughs> exactly that's right this this scene is amazing and we sort of uh, in Ninja: The Mission Force, I kind of ripped off uh, searching for for uh, the the MacGuffin in a deflated basketball. But uh, who thought of this scene? It's amazing, yeah, isn't it? In this scene, where there's a wonderful piece of teleporting, uh, yes. using a basketball. Yes, so we, we won't spoil it. Though. We, we can do a very one of a few super screen specific moments when that scene comes up. So just interrupt me. When we get to it, uh, well, and also real quick, uh, the um, I, the dubbers must have had a heck of a time. They've always got to have these scenes where they have to come up with a bunch of just fluff dialogue uh, to fill lip flap for unimportant scenes. Like, oh, sure, it was a good game today. Yeah, what are they going to come by? Yeah, boy, how about that one? Do you have my stapler? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, the most notorious and best known legacy of IFT that was. Uh, not maybe not later copied by Filmark yeah, because they came. I mean, I, I think uh, shortly after Filmark started making their own ninja action movies. Uh, but uh, it was uh, the idea of latching. Oh, here we are. I mean, teleporting through a gate that way is just. What, get, uh, what gets me is that they absolutely, <laughs> completely, perfectly lined up uh, the um, the guy. Yeah, between, it, lo- it looks cuts. good. It looks so good. It's it, like the jump cut is. F- Pretty convincing, but uh, like <laughs> the basketball and few few through the gate, like that's ninja power. That's awesome ninja power, and uh, yeah, there it is. And uh, this is the best known legacy, and um, like inspired by Enter the Ninja. But uh, some moments are pure inspired lunacy that obviously is better than anything Enter the Ninja provided. So good on Godfrey and, and the action directing team for <laughs> creating this. Uh, but yeah, when they. Uh, put together these cut and paste movies featuring some of their own shot action footage but mostly usually uh the bulk of the movie was a source movie they sourced movies from thailand korea taiwan the philippines and even hong kong every now and again uh Filmok did it more ift did it every now and again it's very rarely they uh, went to hong kong for for the source movies and uh, richard harrison was one of the actors that were cut into this uh these movies um not pleased about, as we said, how many movies he was cut into. And that, you know, he represented a ninja action plot of movies such as Ninja Terminator, Ninja the Protector, Ninja Thunderbolt. And these were not high art, obviously. But, and Joseph Lai would always, and will always correctly say, because he's still with us, that they were aware of the film's limitation, but they were aware of the film's market power. And I think that's an important stance. Knowing the quality of your work, but knowing like exactly what the purpose of it all is, like uh, what the market likes. I think the market found this fun to a degree. Some might not have known what they were getting. They they just saw the ninja poster and that's awesome. Let's get that. 
but 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 I I think they must have uh, even at that time it, it, the fun must have shown through a little bit. Um, I hope so. Anyway, obviously I wasn't alive. Uh, well, I was alive, but I wasn't aware of this uh, when it occurred. Uh, but yeah, they are incredibly tough to follow at times. We established this movie isn't. And, but there is an energy present in these films that is both entertaining. And uh, if you're a fan of B-movies, uh, and if you are fascinated by, or rather if you put yourself into the mindset of a unit like IFD from a business perspective, it's it's pretty fun to follow. It's all about satisfying your market. And they, they made, uh, like, if we have like six or seven or five or six really fun movies out of ten, and the rest were incredibly boring dreck, then that's not a bad, like, job done. That bus stunt, by the way, where Edmund goes out of the bus, really, like, <laughs> it, it it looks, they probably put a pane of glass there, there isn't hard to jump through, but those kind of stunts, man, I, it, still, it still gets me, because it, you gotta bring talent to execute a stunt like that, that, that they don't telegraph. He just does it. He needs to get out of the bus. Boom. Through the glass. His mother was right. He is a maniac. And uh, demand was high when IT started distributing like this. They couldn't supply the market in time. So they started working from already present products in their vaults. Like their movie Fury in Red, which is uh, based on the, which is the English dubbed version of uh, the Taiwanese Miss 45 called Girl with a Gun. They later reused that and made it into a cut and paste movie called Crackdown Mission starring Pierre Kirby. So uh, that's that. By the way, uh, I have a little note here. Grand Temple shared working with uh, Richard Harrison in this scene, and uh, he was uh, kind of jolted. So um, I got to quote uh, uh, quote Grand Temple here. Uh, Richard said to me, "When I come into your office, your office, I'm going to be very aggressive. Remember, it is just acting." He grabbed me so hard and yanked me into his face so fast I almost had whiplash. I had bruises on my chest for weeks. Ow! Oh, no. And if you if you watch the clip or rewatch that part of that scene, you will notice I am completely taken off guard, which actually makes it a little bit, bit more realistic. So that's a Grand Temple's uh, like <laughs> experience with Richard Harrison. I hate everything. <laughs> Richard Harrison comes in pretending that everybody is Godfrey Ho. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did he call me Godfrey right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so crackdown mission happened. It's a case of them recycling, which is good economics when they recycle what they already have in their vaults. So they never stole stuff. Like that, that, that was a misconception too. That when they took unfinished movies or stole movies, and I hate that like misinfo actually because they're business. You can't go around doing that extensively, not at all. I mean, they stole music. That's not good. But hey, they never got into trouble, I suppose. But uh, the, the whole theft is something I get a bit, bit, bit irked about when I hear. Uh, still here to, to this year. Uh, during this year, I read an article here in 2015 that kind of stated that these movies mm-hmm. were unfinished and stolen, but they weren't. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's that's a wrap. Let's see where were we. I mean, it seems simple in a way to like just tap into the ninja craze of the eighties, but they 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 did it well. I mean, they provided a good entertainment uh, for quite a lot of uh, movies and showcased movies from elsewhere that has benefited me. Like some of these Taiwanese cinema classics, I can finally see them almost complete and almost similarly plotted as they were originally, and. Uh, that has action and energy, and uh, again, Godfrey Ho's uh, footage also had action and energy, and uh, yeah, it's the the element that sold, whoever ninjas, and they often 
executed within within those uh, scenes. And uh, true for Ninja Operation Night and Warriors, well, uh, that uh, that uh, it all it all uh, the energy is there. You know what I mean? And, like we're never bored by the Ninja action, even though it never lasts for thirty seconds at a time. But uh, hey, it's good. It's really good fun. Absolutely. That that brings up the question: like, what well, what is it about Godfrey Ho's cut and paste cinema experience that is still so much fun for you when it is fun? I mean, the majority of the time it is fairly good some of the movies are really really fun some of them are boring but in general what why is it so much fun right well i i think you used a word earlier lunacy uh that i think is particularly accurate you have crazy colorful costumes lots of uh elaborate fighting and sets uh sorry well not sets but uh um costumes and robots delivering videotapes with ninja messages um, teleporting with clouds of smoke and things like that. Uh, and then on top of that, I am particularly fascinated by movies that Holy are repurposed. Holy crap! In- yeah. Stunt- uh, no, it was not even slow motion. That looked like real speed. He, My God, that could have hurt. He has no fear. Uh, possibly the actor, by the way, is called Yao Mingyin. Uh, he was uh, listed at the top of uh, HKMDB, and there was a screen cap featuring the headband, and it looked like him. So Yao Mingyin on top of, of a fucking car as well. And, I know. Man, my it's God, Jackie Chan crazy. had a competitor in Taiwan that few people knew, knew about. So, hey, good on, again, good on IFD for taking this movie and highlighting the action aspects, at least, even though we never got a wide release of the original movie. Mm-hmm, absolutely but, but yeah but your, your godfrey ho ifd assessment if you had any oh more. sure no i think the only other thing i was going to say is that i just have a, a fascination with the ways that um movies are repurposed for other cultures either remade or or reworked and this is a this is an unusual one i mean ifd wasn't the one who came up with let's mix footage from different sources and make a new movie i mean uh, you, you can track that back to American cinema in the 60s and 70s and even 80s, I suppose. Uh, Roger Corman did it every, every now and again, I think. So Sure, sure. But it's it's the way in which it's done and, and the movies that are chosen and um, all of that, you know, whether or not they're the first. Ninjas was not, was not the only thing they did. They, when that had done its thing, uh, you know, uh, that was a phase. It didn't last very long. Uh, well, it lost for a fair amount of years in the 80s, but it did stop like... Uh, IFD will go on with the kickboxing trend because thanks to Bloodsport, kickboxer, the popularity of Jean-Claude Van Damme, that genre boomed. You know, modern action thrillers were also... So they, they pursued making kickboxing cut-and-paste movies, but they also pursued the modern action thriller angle with the American Commando series and even superhero movies, uh, mainly the two Catman movies that we've covered. So, you know, across the globe in bargain bins, I think it's still the case. You find the ninjas and the kickboxers and even animated children's cartoons bearing the Joseph Lai name. And I gotta tell you, it's it's a bit of a legacy after all. He's been around and provided a fair amount of good entertainment uh, for the masses. Because without his him stepping in, we wouldn't have the widely distributed aspects to either ninjas, kickboxing or... Uh, animated movies from Korea in this case and uh, I, I I find enjoyment in that personally, a lot of enjoyment in that and there also it's been a joy as a collector to be to, to, to be able to access not only the movies easily but even in more deluxe form because uh, there's uh, like sort out uh, widescreen versions put out in Japan of these movies, we're watching a French VHS widescreen print uh, Greece and Germany were also good markets for 
widescreen versions. So I, I think it matters. Uh, like if you can access widescreen even for these movies, it, it matters so much. Seeing the Garfield phone footage in full widescreen matters. And I'm saying that with a little bit, a little bit of humorous tint, I suppose, but it does very much matter to see these movies play or these products play on their actual terms you know what is vivian wearing in this scene she's like a like a space babe a space thunder kid maybe i'm not space <laughs> thunder kid yeah so let, let, let's just go over the last last bit of a rumor there isn't so much misinfo but rather one guy has one one angle of the story and uh, a couple of other guys have another angle of the story and that is richard harrison and well, as we said, Richard Harrison claims he had a contract at IFT that he only shot one movie, and then they used a lot of that footage in different movies, and that they did. But it's the matter of how much he was aware of and how much they really used and abused his footage. I mean, clearly they, they did. Like, they, they reused some stuff rather lazily and put him up as star or special star in movies that just had newly dubbed footage of him on the phone or stuff like that but the the thing is sources do tell us that he knew what ifd were up to to a degree he claimed he was there in hong kong for a couple of months and shot a movie or two movies but it's so much random footage with so much different hairstyles and facial hair and no facial hair so i guess do you think uh, he is in the right in saying that he was only there for one stint, then he's uh, squeaky clean and innocent and uh, totally abused. Or do you think Richard is over-exaggerating a bit here? What, are you kidding? Of course I don't believe him. <laughs> and no, I've, I've heard from more than one source that he was there at least on two occasions and probably to shoot several movies on each. You can see his energy level drop uh, throughout uh, through the years. Watch Ninja Commandments, he's not there anymore. He's not enjoying himself anymore. He's a bit more active here. And when you see Majestic Thunderbolt, where he plays a bad guy, he's having a ball. He's clearly, like, enjoying, like, torturing this guy in a dental chair and crap like that in Majestic Thunderbolt. So, I mean, that, that that's uh, energy during the first stint, I suppose, from Richard Harrison. And then, uh, then as uh, the movies went on, he might have been... I, I don't know how much it is, how fair it is to say he was totally aware, just mildly aware. But again, he's uh, playing the victim role a little bit too much uh, for, uh, in my personal opinion. He was, they did some ill things against him, of course, but uh, not that. It, like, um, he, he, he must have been in on or aware of some of it, at least. But hey, that's, uh, that's where we are. We, we got good entertainment based on the fact that he's not present at all. And in those movies that he is present, it looks uh, rather good on him, in a way. Like Majestic Thunderbolts, he looks looks good. And uh, even though this is a step down from his Italian career, maybe, but uh, still, they, they, I'd, uh, I, I'd, I'd cherish this part of his filmography a tiny bit if I, was, if I were Richard Harrison. But hey, that's, that's, just, that's just me. Right, where, by the way, it's been a while since we passed it, but I'm just going to say it. Anyway, there was a car with some spray paint on it in an earlier scene that said, it looked like it said janitor for some reason. <laughs> it, <laughs> looks like, it looks like June lol. Whatever that means. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and also an earlier stunt, like like the stunt where again, uh, Yao Mingyin, uh, you know, 
uh, flips over a car. I think he's, he, he falls, he starts like resting on the pavement. I'm just gonna lay down here. Oh my god, a car! And then he has to do that awesome stunt. So, I mean, he's, uh, he's something, um, so, something else. And, uh, yeah. But, 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 but do you think this movie represents Richard Harrison still putting forth a little bit of professionalism and energy in these, in, uh, for, for an IFD movie? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, just from the fact that he has some energy and, you know, roughing up dudes and, and so forth. I mean, yeah, sure. Yeah, we're heading into, a, heading into our, the last stretch of, uh, the movie. There's some, um, there's, um, I mean, even if it's 15 minutes left, doesn't mean we get that 15 minute finale with tons of ninja stuff. But hey, they stay true to the fact that they're shooting almost an entire movie here. 80% of like uh, their own movie. And they didn't grow bored after half a movie or anything like that. This was a, a curious like follow through by IFD that I, I don't think I've seen them do again, actually. I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head that I've seen anywhere where IFD did most of the footage. No, no. I like the, the bit uh, that just passed where Gordon says, I want to I wanna meet with you and fight you guys. And uh, and uh, the guy looks over at Stuart Smith and Stuart Smith has this look in his face like, what? No. <laughs> we were having such a good time sitting here. Like, do we have to go out and do stuff? Like, why, why, why would I fight this guy I don't know? No. Rudolph. And Ru- Rudolph is working on his um, heroin, heroin uh, smuggling routes, going through Russia and stuff like that. And no one's ever done that. But Rudolph is, Rudolph is a maniac. I'm going to be the first. <laughs> good. There, there you go. There's, a, there's an Australian accent that uh, I'm, I'm only going to attempt one delivery, which is my favorite delivery of uh, Stuart Smith's. And it might not even be in an Australian accent, but there's a wonderful piece of uh, dialogue coming up after... Uh, Richard and crew have torched, and oh boy, do they torch <laughs> the uh, the drugs! Uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's good fun. Uh, I don't know how much time we have to talk of the other lead in the Taiwan movie, Masha or Taturma, which is our villain that we see every now and again, the leader of the union, and uh, he had a sex scene earlier, and uh, he's bound to turn up here in the finale, I believe. There's not a kung fu exchange or anything, but but in in essence. I don't think I have time to go through it. He was and still is a character that, uh, like, uh, transferred to movie credits in a turbulent manner. You know, both his movies and his real life is kind of turbulent. But Masha's real name is Liu Jianchen, and his teens were dominated by criminal activity, and he was sentenced before adulthood for a variety of things, including, uh, you know, theft. Um, they got a six-month pre- uh, prison sentence as a young man in 1965 for stealing, and he even hatched an escape plan at that time that was caught. And on it went. He had quite a rep at one point in Taiwan as quite an extravagant uh, criminal, a bit of a pimp, essentially, living the pimp lifestyle. But a letter of repent that he wrote in 1969 as a young man included a, desi- included a desire to find his father. And this was somehow picked up by the media. And eventually, it, because it had an emotional hook. And so he got a little bit of uh, fame. But he still continued his criminal path in the 70s. He, but um, the main component of uh, Masha's story is when he became aware of a best-selling book about handicapped law graduate Shang Fengxi. And that made Liu, or Masha, want to emulate the book and write about his own life. 
and no publisher took the bait, but a journalist did, uh, published it as a free part article. Didn't really create ripples as such. So Liu Omasha and his business associates hired university scholars to rewrite his story, ending up with four versions of a book called The First Error Step. It was also sexed up a bit, making Liu less of a low-life criminal and more into a big boss. And I gotta love the fire here. Like, <laughs> like they, they torched the grass a little bit and then it looked like like the basis for a huge grass fire or forest fire like when they when they torched that piece of grass in the new territory. But uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, what was we? Well, um, the book, yes, uh, when he turned it into book, he turned from a low-life criminal in real life into more of a big boss. And a more melodramatic tearjerker angle was spread around uh, the story to make it seem like Masha was sincerely repentful. It added mythological flavor eventually. And uh, that created ripples. Uh, and there was support for his plight and respect for the man that voiced, like, repent and... Uh, that also created ripples financially and the film companies began making offers to they wanted to presumably adapt this story but there was doubters about the fact that uh, Liu uh, like uh, for like the, the formula for his book felt a bit uh, transparent and familiar and there was even a book written about that story being a sham that didn't make a lot of noise so he could continue on but the camp of the character of uh, Shang Feng Shi who wrote the initial book, if you will, they certainly caught on and they were in on the movie negotiations. They didn't forbid this to happen, but they wanted a piece of the cake. And uh, the production eventually went ahead and that was called The First Aerostep from 1979, which is a milestone in Taiwan social realist uh, new wave filmmaking that lasted for a few years. And I want to see that movie badly, but there's no available print available to me anyway. It's, uh, I believe it's also known as Never Too Late to Repent. That is correct. I think it was available, like, I've seen posters with that. I've seen trailers with the first Aerostep title on it. So it might have been released uh, twice, if you will. And uh, Masha went on a movie career, appeared in a ton of movies uh, for a short, during a short time span. But behind all of this, the conflict over the book continued. There were both physical assaults and copyright disputes, uh, co- calm copyright disputes, and eventually the wall crumbled for Masha's fabricated story. So, uh, yeah, that movie, The First Aerostep, was even under inspection because of the fake nature to it. And I don't know what, if it came out unaltered or not, but, uh, uh, but a successful release uh, it was, and, uh, And it was based somewhat on Masha's claim again that uh, he was reformed, that still worked in the public uh, public eye, and uh, that uh, and then that that should mean something was probably his uh, argument. Uh, and even though he was busy making movies after this point, apparently both private and criminal life remained uh, turbulent, including a story about adultery coming to the forefront where Masha cheated on his wife with a 17-year-old Korean actress. Which he, he went into business with this actors, actually. He tried out different lines of business. Uh, uh, I think they opened like a, a laundry or something like that together. Or furniture really? shop, I believe. A furniture shop, I think it was. Or maybe both. Um, Masha, in 1988, he was um, busted for uh, drug possession. And financially, he was not in a good place. And even had his actor's card revoked after appearing in an adult movie where he did upper body expression so to say while the body double did the rest uh, 
that still became a hit, so he still remained known in some circles as, uh, you know, through that movie and his, uh, you know, so to say, repentful story in uh, in quotation marks. And cut to 2000, it came to light that Masha was behind a string of robberies. And this led to a two-year prison sentence. So even in his older years, out of the movie business largely, hardly reformed. So Masha, who we see, in, uh, we see here in the background in a suit, I uh, don't remember if he had busted a move or not here, because he, he, he fought in movies, even though he wasn't necessarily a kung fu uh, practitioner, but he could brawl. Uh, like a Jimmy Wang, you, Jimmy Wang, you it could rule. So, and that was it. That's that's the end of that movie. In this movie, indeed. And uh, <laughs> here's the favorite. Uh, but <laughs> Stuart Smith reacting to Grand Temple saying, "Like they torched our stuff, our stash." But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like that's. <laughs> I mean, isn't he? When I say mouth acting, I truly mean it. Like, Stuart, Stuart Smith just, his whole face is active, man. Like, and here's the Ninja Challenge show, which is uh, a little bit of a arts and crafts project that yeah. is uh, forwarded to a, from Richard Harrison. And you would think, like, oh my God, it's a hand down there or something, but nope. No, just a little thing he got from Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and I like the way that he's just, like, cavalierly, like, huh. Ninja Challenge, you know, oh, not a big shit. deal. Like, Grand Temple, oh shit, the sentry's saying, again, right, let's, I guess we gotta do this. Can you get those Ninja Challenges on Amazon now? That's what <laughs> I wanna know. Who do, who do you call to get those delivered? <laughs> Wait, we're gonna get this uh, delivered by drones in the future. You know? Oh yeah, that makes sense. But, but yeah, I mean, l- looking at the Taiwan movie, uh, do you think uh, it holds interest? Like, if you could, if you could see the original Taiwan movie, would you like to see it in whole to see what it really was about, based on the action footage that we get? You know, I think I feel like I've seen mostly enough. I wouldn't mind seeing if there's a you know another minute or so to the ending. Mostly, I'm kind of curious about the Alan character, the betrayer, because uh, we don't get any real sense of what his deal is, and I'm curious if that's explored in any more depth. I mean, here is where they all gathered up. I mean, uh, again, if the timeline was uh, readjusted, if you will, it was would have been amazing to have Bruce Barron in here as well and Mike Abbott. Uh, but uh, yeah, like uh, many of them are gathered and Richard, like one newcomer, obviously Alphonse Benny and um, yes, Stuart Smith and Richard Harrison. That, that's almost enough to make it a good time because uh, Stuart Smith is bound to have some kind of memorable dialogue and uh, he has memorable dialogue galore. Uh, in this uh, movie, as Rudolph, the heroine, drug king, pain. Ninja. <laughs> There's a moment coming up here where they all are uh, doing the, the, the little hand, or wavy, wavy gesture, and there's a magnificent shot from above. Yeah, I know, because it's like you're kind of with it for a while, then suddenly it cuts too wide, and you're like, oh, this, they look really goofy. So someone should make a, like a gif out of that. And put on the oh, internet, yeah. where, where they just start twirling their hands, twirling their hands before they teleport and disappear. Mm-hmm. So, but but yeah, at least uh, here for the finale, there was some time given to shoot some mildly extensive action, at least, and uh, a variety of weapons are used, including a ninja boomerang. So it's uh, pretty creative, and they needed Hong Kong action directors to complete this stuff well. Like, the posing Godfrey Ho could take care of, but when... Like the the staging of the action and the weapons duels 
needed to happen. They had experienced Hong Kong crew to execute that, and it's no wonder that that stuff still looks like above average. Like you, you could attach that uh, action because the exchanges are quite um, skillful. You know, even though they only lost for a few seconds, the the skill is definitely there, and the acrobatics uh, are very, very solid. And um, oh yeah, yeah. They're very they're very clever. I've noticed too about when they need to cut in and show the uh, the actor, and when they can get away with showing uh, the stuntman. Uh, and most of the time, it's very difficult to see the seams. I mean, other than knowing, because one of them can do action, one of them cannot. And and on this print, which is not no high def or anything, um, it still looked like they uh, doubled Alphonse Benny pretty well like it's not this yeah. obvious cut to a white guy or someone asian um mm-hmm. so, so don't you feel like they missed a trick by uh letting um this villain use a boomerang but not Stuart smith oh yeah of course yeah what were they thinking they did godfrey ho forgets like hey i'm i'm from i'm from like you know, we all like the country of the boomerang like we own that crap but uh hey that's uh that's uh, something that they never capitalized on. Uh, I can't remember a Stuart Smith uh, ninja action movie where he did have a ninja boomerang himself. Um, so that, that that was a wasted opportunity. Like, if we can bring him out of retirement, or you, rather, for Ninja of Mission 4 Season 3, remember that. Remember yeah. that idea. Like, like co- copyright that idea. I'll give that to you. Also, Grant apparently has, well, had his uh, uh, Richard's partner's staff weapon. Free section stop you never really saw in these movies either. I enjoy that. that, that that's a very yeah. common common weapon in uh, in Shaw Brothers movies and Kung Fu movies. And uh, yeah, for the bursts that do appear, it's it's like all of this cutting to obviously flying weapons and all of that. It's still decently executed, uh, and the energy is there, the creative energy is there. So that that's kind of what we can go out on, I suppose. Because when the movie is over, it's over. <laughs> it's gonna be the end really, really quickly. So. That's essentially the end. Ah, that's it. We are done for this commentary on fire. We got through all our notes, seemingly. Like, it's not within the commentary, but do you have anything else you want to say about Ninja Operation Night and Warrior other than the fact that we've already established that it's a recommendation? Tell all your friends. Have a, have a, have a big movie night and just get everyone over to watch it because it's worth it. Like, you can have a, like a Ninja Terminator this and... What else? Ninja the Protector? I wouldn't really launch Ninja the Protector onto people because the source movie in that one is really boring. I kind of like it only because there's like a there's a story happening. There's not a lot of action, but there's a story happening. And that's kind of one of the things that reasons I kind of prefer it over Ninja Terminator. Uh, despite all of the action in the source movie, um, it's all action. And so I don't have any and I, there's nothing to follow except guys getting kicked. On the point of uh, on the theme of what's happening next time. Uh, next episode, me and Ed do. It's main favorites time, essentially, which means me and Ed will review and discuss our favorites, our like main top one IFT cut and paste movies, uh, featuring ninjas or not, because I have picked Majestic Thunderbolt. That's how you pronounce it. No other way. Watch the trailer. They say that about 50 times. Majestic Thunderbolt. And a lot of trailer man nonsense uh, uh, as well so the, the trailer is uh, worth a podcast on its own but i love it because it's fun sometimes stylish godfrey ho footage it, there's no ninjas uh, it's a modern action thriller 
and Richard Harrison, as I've said in the commentary, is a bad guy. And the Source movie is a mighty violent one from Taiwan, which I really want to see complete because it looks awesome. Awesomely violent. And uh, for Ed, or well, I picked for you, I hope this uh, would be correct, but for Ed, uh, I think it is Ninja the Protector, but wh- why would that be your favorite uh, one if you want to extend that thing that you just said? Like, uh, why Ninja the Protector and not Ninja Terminator or this? It's, I think, for me, the best blend. There's some some interesting story stuff happening, uh, sort of drama, thriller, gangstery kind of stuff. You've got uh, a goodly amount of ninjas, uh, some some nice exploitation nudity, which is kind of a must. And uh, you have the camo ninja suit, Richard Harrison, uh, sporting a mustache, which is a much better look for Richard. A little bit of some actual, we're going to kind of talk about ninjas a little bit and not just assume that you know them. And of course, I really like the ninjas fighting on playgrounds and stuff like that. Oh, and on motorbikes as well. Oh yeah, and and on the the amazing motorbike uh, finale sequence, um, the final sequence of that is just amazing. And uh, if you would really like uh, and you want to see it, my DVD of Ninja: The Mission Force season two, uh, in addition to uh, the show, comes with uh, the entirety of Ninja: The Protector on it. So I'll actually correct you there. It's actually a way shorter. It's, okay, it. yeah, that's that's true. It's it's the it is the the more common uh, condensed version. So, which uh, is not necessarily a, a problem, to be honest, because uh, yeah. yeah, there is like one less Godfrey Ho scene and uh, a bit less of the source movie that I honestly couldn't tell you what's missing. And I've seen both versions exactly because one is ninety minutes, one is I think barely seventy. It is. It's exactly about that. it's about seventy minutes. I think it is the superior cut of the film. So may, maybe that's the thing. If you're used to watching the full ninety minute version, I'd probably get pretty bored too. Yeah. So and it's a wide it's in widescreen as well that version. So hey, that's a, that's an advantage. The full version I think is only available in um, uh, in full frame. And the, when you can get the shorter version, it's like widescreen, but it's always presented in the incorrect aspect ratio. It's like. Uh, it's presented 16 by 9, but it's actually much wider. It's like scope. So uh, it's correct on my disc. It, in, it, it indeed is. I have it right here. I own it. Uh, just because I know you, I don't, uh, I, I don't ask for freebies or anything. No. I, I, I pay my way to, uh, to, an, uh, to an excellent uh, piece of extra on that disc. Uh, like, so, yeah, that was cool. Uh, what Ken doesn't know is that I charged him double. Well, I'm, I'm gullible. As, as I said, ooh, 40 US dollars. <laughs> Like that. That's that seems that seems right. Like for a cool little ninja ninja homage series, a full season of it, and an extra movie. I'll happily pay sixty. You said it was forty minutes ago. I'll happily pay sixty. Excellent. Yeah, there we are. Okay, so that's uh, next time. But for now, after an exhaustive uh, amount of talking, but hey, that's what commentaries. Uh, that's the challenge of the commentary since we do it in one take normally. But uh, I like a challenge. But uh, that's uh, this is us uh, wrapping up both commentary on fire and the golden ninja podcast uh, and uh, we'll do some contact information therefore and this has been those very shows on the podcast on fire network our website is podcastonfire.com check out other shows on hong kong cinema japanese and korean and even sleazy movies and we uh, so there's options for you and we have bonus episodes on there as well email us if you have any feedback podcast on fire at googlemail.com you can do the same on Facebook if you join the discussion group called Podcast, called Podcast on Fire Network. And you can also leave a like on our page, please, on facebook.com forward slash PUF Network. And our Twitter handle is at Podcast on Fire. 
and I write about uh, ninja movies, Hong Kong movies, Taiwanese movies, and uh, some exploitation sleazy stuff on SoGoodReviews.com and I video review at SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And uh, these two shows, Commentary on Fire and Golden Ninja Podcast, are available on iTunes. Rate and subscribe, and if you have the time, please leave a written comment about what you thought of this uh, nonsense that we provide you with, if it's any good or not. And finally, Stitcher Radio is where you can stream the various podcasts that we do, either via their website or on via the applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And the next, uh, that was the next to last plug, the last is the Golden Ninja Warrior Chronicles blog. We'll link to Jesus Perez Molina's relevant ninja movie posts that are also about the uncovering of uh, the source movies from Taiwan, where, because I think that's the most interesting posts uh, that well he does he, do, he does a lot of interesting posts but when he posts but he when he he uncovers the source movies i think that's very relevant and a lot of times it's uh, taiwanese source movies in the case of this a movie that we covered for the commentary there is a taiwanese source movie under there so check it out in the show post and finally add your plugs uh, for reference like Sure. Uh, you can see my films and web series, including IFD spoof Ninja the Mission Force at NeonHarbor.com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash NeonHarbor and on Twitter at Neon underscore Harbor. If you would have done a Filmark spoof, do you think anyone would notice the difference? No, because I <laughs> because I would not be capable of uh, of of being able to show a difference. <laughs> that that'll be a challenge indeed so i almost forgot how we end these shows so uh, uh we have a little clever ending that leads into the outro so kids remember i am the champion of the ninjas <laughs> We'll